This week's episode is sponsored by Extrastatic. Extrastatic is a hosting service for Sveckle blogs. Sveckle blogs combine the simple conventions of Jekyll with the incredible power of Svelte. Check it out at extrastatic.com. Hey, it's another episode of Svelte Radio. We meet once again, everyone. This time we have another guest. It's none other than uh, the creator of Svelte, Rich Harris. Hello. Hi. I like <laughs> how you wave on the have... podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and of course we have Sean and Anthony. <laughs> hello, hello. So I think this is like the, is this the fourth time we're on? Could, uh, I've lost track. Sorry. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah third yeah. or fourth. I guess we're we're privileged to have you on uh, a lot of times. Ah, the uh, privilege is all mine. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, uh, what have you guys been up to lately? I know Anthony. You told me you uh, you've had a couple of days off. Yeah. From work. Okay. So I, I can start. I had a yeah. When I had the Easter break, so we had four days off, and then I had two more days on top because I am now the wonderful age of 40 it's my birthday yesterday oh lost, happy, birthday. Lost track of happy time. birthday congratulations your, your life has finally begun <laughs> yeah, well, yeah yeah um but yeah so you know uh i spent my holiday and extra days yak shaving but yak shaving in the kitchen rather than yak shaving a computer which is good i am um, i bought a new fridge there's actually a weird twitter thread about it where ken wheeler starts off by talking about american fridges and i'm like hey i just got one but I got this fridge and it doesn't fit in our kitchen. So I started remanufacturing the kitchen, uh, chopping apart the units, trying to rebuild it so I can get this fridge in there, which is great. It looks wonderful. Then redid the wiring because the wiring was annoying because I spotted that whilst doing the fridge. So I started reading the wiring and rewired all that. And then as I was reading the wiring, I looked at the, the lights under the counter. Like, I don't like these lights under the counter. So I took the lights out. And then I started rebuilding my own lights and I like LED strips. So I've got LED strips under there and started soldering them on my birthday, which is the worst possible thing you do on your birthday because it's absolutely depressing. I hate soldering so much. And I've burned myself three or four times. And now I have no undercounter lighting because it's all kind of half done and it's really hard because I like to have things with no wires, no visible wires, no visible attachments, just completely flush. And that's a lot harder than it looks and probably not, it's not going to look as good as the effort I've put into it. Why didn't you just get a fridge that fits in your kitchen? Yeah. Well, he, because... Apparently he needs an American oh, did, fridge. Did you, did you not know fridge. until you got the fridge? No, no, we, we had an integrated fridge and it was a bit old anyway, so I wanted to get rid of it for efficiency reasons. But I wanted an American fridge because we need a bit more storage in our fridge and freezer anyway. And I wanted an ice machine built in and water filter built in because I don't like having Brita jugs and, and ice, mach- ice makers, which I have anyway. So... There's a few reasons to get a bigger fridge. I had this plan to just chop the end off the kitchen and shove it in the gap, which is easier said, said than done. Um, it worked in the end. It's all, it all looks good and it looks like it's part and parcel, but it took a lot of time to actually get that, you know, that furniture right, that kitchen cabinet cut down correctly, that it would fit. So sounds, that's, that's the reason. Sounds like you had a great time off. But really now you've got an American fridge. It's true. Now I've got an American fridge. Got, it's actually a German I've got the worst of both worlds. I live in America, but I have a terrible fridge. Do you even have the perils of renting? <laughs> Why do? You, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that makes sense. You can't replace it. Yeah. So Sean, yeah. what are you? What are you up to? 
Where are you today? Last time am, you were in New York? Yes, I am in Miami now. Very good, very ex- nice city and very good experience. Good weather, good food, good people. Uh, my kind of dress code, which is shorts and flip-flops. Like, people just did not dress up for the conference. Uh, sorry, so I am cheating on Svelte. I am at React Miami. I'm in the belly of the beast. But, uh, You're a spy. It is. Yeah, I'm a spy. Uh, <laughs> no, it is It is very good to see people in person again. And, and uh, people are very um, inquisitive about Svelte. You can always see at the edges, people are always wondering, like, how come... You know, we're, uh, how come I moved over? How come uh, a lot of people are talking more and more about it every year? Uh, so it's a, it's a very interesting mix. And it's, I think it's just the first in-person conference I've had since um, Guest Felt Summit. So Summit wasn't quite fully in-person, and this one definitely was. And uh, COVID is over here. Nobody's wearing any masks whatsoever. Yeah. That's not, even checking, yeah. not even checking your vaccination status. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's the same here. I think I think we're all done with it in in a way. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if, if it's not it might not be done with us. No, I know, but like psychologically, I guess. Yeah. All right. Um, and then I think there's a lot of movement oh, on the on the meta framework side. So Svelkit was brought up a few times. Um, but also with remix and other um, what's the other one? Blitz.js that was that was brought up. Um, I would say that the the thing about web standards, so I have a I have a thing in the picks for uh, how the Svelte docs actually reintroduced like a web standards section because people don't know where fetch comes from. <laughs> I think I think that's something that uh, Remix is also trying to do. It's trying to encourage people to understand the web platform APIs and uh, sort of use them or monkey patch them in some interesting ways. And the other thing that I noticed, like there's this sort of love again for web standards like you know they're just better because uh, they're built in into some kind of platforms so netlify edge functions launched and they use deno and deno uh you know has a very obvious lean to web, web uh, so the web platform apis as well uh, and apparently that was a reason for choosing them i just think it's an interesting marketing angle the web i mean you know, request response may not be the easiest things to work with actually but uh, they seem to be trending would you look at that Sounds good. So, Rich, what have you been up to since last time, uh, whenever well, that was? <laughs> COVID definitely isn't over here because I just had it for mm. the second time, um, second round. Oh, wow. And it was it was much worse than the first time. I had it over I flew to the UK for Christmas and got stranded there because I, I then couldn't fly back. Like, I flew to see my family and then had to sit in a room by myself. But I was actually fine. I was just, like, testing positive. But this time around, I felt dreadful um I, I think my experience is probably a bit like yours anthony you, you had it a short while ago and yeah had a bit of a rough time so i've i've been doing very little honestly um i binge watched a lot of tv while i was convalescing <laughs> um watched the entirety of severance great show um oh. halfway through season five of better call saul which is now on netflix um and apart from that i've just been plugging away on svelte kit Cool. I think you just stole my my pick. I was going to pick Severance. It's such I mean, a good show. <laughs> we can discuss it at the end as, as, a, yeah, as a little yeah. teaser. Yeah. yeah. We'll have a spoiler, spoiler section at the end. <laughs> I, I also watched it. I guess. <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. 
All right, let's. Uh, I, so, what have I been up to? I guess I should uh, I should do some kind of status update. I've been uh, plugging away and working on the uh, conferences. So the the spring one, as well as the the fall one, which is I'm realizing by the day, it's getting more and more uh, scary to organize one. I I, I realize I've probably taken on a bit too much but uh it's it's going to be fine probably we'll see <laughs> so there's a lot of uh going around like figuring out stuff that i need uh for the conference uh stuff that happens on the on the back end that that you don't realize when you actually go to a conference yourself so um that's that's been a lot of fun but also uh, scary so yeah that that's me all right so Rich, you're here. Uh, let's talk about your new job, or I guess it's not so new anymore. What's the deal? How's Vercel? Yeah, it's actually not that new. I joined in November, and it's well, getting towards the end of April now, so almost six months, which is absolutely flown by. It's good. I'm very happy still with the with the choice that I made. It's been a definite positive development for Svelte, and you know, for me personally, I I really like working there. I'm working with good people, and I, I feel like the company has a, a good mission. So I'm very happy all around. Cool. So what's uh what does like a typical work day look for you when you wake up? So I'm working ex- like pretty much exclusively on Svelte and Svelte Kit. And at the moment, that that's really just Svelte Kit. I don't have like I don't have the cell specific responsibilities, as it were. Occasionally, I'll. I'll be asked to help review some new Vercel platform API that, that's, that's going to launch because that's going to affect us and they want feedback from the people who are going to be using it, the people who are developing that. So I'll do that sort of thing. And yesterday I put together a little demo of, of SvelteKit running on the Vercel Edge network, uh, which we'll probably put out today because we can, using the new build output API on Vercel, we can toggle between building your app for lambdas and building it for edge functions which are currently implemented with with cloudflare workers and so as long as you're rendering something that doesn't require data that lives in a data center far away from you that allows you to do server-side rendering extremely quickly Um, and so that's a pretty cool development the next thing of course will be to have some parts of your app rendering on the edge and some parts of your app rendering in a data center but that's that's future stuff that we haven't yet figured out so apart from that i'm just logging into github and looking at what new pull requests and issues there are and trying to like i don't know stand before the tide like king canute and and, and <laughs> command the waters to recede we have about 375 open issues at the moment which is the least number of issues we've had in a while but is still way too many um for comfort so i'm just trying to get that number down i can imagine it's a it's a lot of uh it's a, it it's a, it sounds like it's a bit overwhelming having that many issues like I've I've only ever like released super tiny, tiny tiny libraries with like one function, and I I get stressed out when I get like two pull requests or one issue. So yeah, you have to get comfortable with knowing that some people are going to raise like perfectly valid issues. In some cases, they're they're significant bugs. In some cases, they're really useful feature requests, and you just got to say, um, like we're not going to be able to get to this this week, and it's frustrating for for people who have taking the time to to raise issues and especially pull requests but it's just the reality of maintaining one of these things is is that you've got to aggressively triage we're getting there yeah cool so 
I also wanted to ask, like, since you're working at Vercel, I guess you have some kind of easy access to the next JS people. Yeah, I, I suppose. Do you find yourself talking to them about concepts that you eventually want to implement in SvelteKit? Definitely, yeah. I mean, it's no secret that SvelteKit is very largely inspired by Next. Next kind of pioneered the whole meta framework thing, and SvelteKit is our version of a meta framework, and it and it takes a lot of the same ideas and runs with them. And the Next team are often coming up with new ideas that uh, that I think we should steal. So on-demand incremental static regeneration, for example, is a feature that I think um, SvelteKit should definitely have. Um, and you know, being able to have access to their Slack channel and being able to like talk to people like Tim definitely helps kind of sharpen up some of those ideas and lets us sort of learn a little bit from from their development process but it's not like i'm in there every day like we're not like sharing roadmaps and stuff like that it's just like one less layer of friction than if we had to just read the public rfcs and uh you know do stuff through twitter dms and whatever yeah i had uh i had someone at the stockholm meetup yesterday asking me uh what the future of Svelte is now that Vercel bought Svelte. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> so I, yeah. I wonder if people think that because you just uh, got hired by them. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very natural yeah. um, assumption. Th- there is a lot of open source these days, which is directly funded by venture capital. And in a lot of cases, there's very little clear blue water between the open source and you know, some eventual theoretical payout for the people putting money into it. And so you have companies like Remix and, and Astro, which are venture capital funded and they're growing very quickly. And it's like, it's a very promising model for the development of open source software. But like, there is this part of me that is like, eek, you know, at some point the the VCs are going to, are going to want to pay out and yeah. Uh, you know, what is that going to mean for the business model for these companies? And the arrangement that Svelte has with the cell is not like that at all. It's it's really more a, kind of a, an alignment of interests than anything. Um, the cell isn't making money directly from Svelte, never will. But having me in the company means that uh, the cell uh, gets to have input from the Svelte community on new things that it's developing. And um, it means that people who are using Svelte on Vercel get the best possible experience and all of those things. So it's, there's like a, a, a harmonious relationship, but it's definitely not like, a, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's, it's, not, it's not in any way kind of transactional. And so I get it. People are like, there's money involved now. Surely there are vested interests afoot here, but that hasn't really been how it's shaken out. And I've seen no reason to, to imagine that that will change. And besides, you know, I am I am just one person. I'm the only full time person working on Svelte, but there is a core team that has people working in all different environments, and like it just would not be possible for Vercel to capture the project because the rest of the core team would be like, "Hang on a minute, that's that's not going to happen." Um, so yeah, I'm not concerned. I think also an important differentiator is that these other frameworks uh, that were mentioned have kind of got investment to cause traction versus Svelte, which had traction already. And Vassell have essentially 
invested in something which was being for a large part deployed to their platform that already has traction and they kind of like you know that's kind of helping them as well the notion of putting money into something with the hope that it will grow enough to make, get the money out again is is quite different and i think that's kind of scary uh, especially for open source you know because there's lots of options out there yeah i just don't understand like most of the business ideas like how are they going to make make back that that money well i guess i think, I I guess think we'll it's see. about being purchased <laughs> You know, I think for a lot of it, it's right. about, it's about yeah, selling out somebody else. Right. I also think in a lot of cases, like they just don't have a clue. Venture capitalists very often just don't really have a business model in mind. They just want to, they've just got all this money floating around that has to be invested. Like in many cases, the money that they have, like there is a mandate to invest it within a certain time frame, And so like any technology that looks promising gets money thrown at it. And it's like, we'll figure out the business model later. But then you know, later comes along and maybe the business model turns out to to rely on a moat that you didn't develop because that's antithetical to the open source nature of the project. So I don't know. I The whole thing makes me a little queasy. Yeah, I, th- I think that, I mean, obviously VCs get bad rep and good rep and stuff, not to diminish them entirely, but I think that uh, one thing that we did when we started out looking for funding was we determined who might buy us in the future when we first started out and reverse engineered our product so that we are building something that we know someone wants versus building something and hoping for mm-hmm. the best or building something and getting to a point where we go, let's find a buyer or something like that. We're, we're almost building a product uh, with a view to who might acquire it, um, you know, for, and, and how it would complement their product. And I think it's not just like one, one thing in one basket. It's, it's multiple different companies, but I think it's important because it helps you build something that potentially, you know, will have this, this audience, you know, up and ready to go. And it also helps you fill that gap because you're building it to fill that gap. So, so I'll try to help make a case, uh, <laughs> maybe because I'm, I'm a bit more venture capital friendly or, or in, in, infused in those ways. You know, Vercel has, has been very closely tied to Next.js uh, in terms of in people's minds. And if they ever want to grow to the next tier in valuation, uh, they have to be perceived as a broader uh, general purpose web platform to build the SDK for the web, as they say. And part of that is, you know, investing in a lot more tooling than Next.js. And so far in the you know, past five years has just been Next.js. Um, so this is a very major step uh, in in that to broadening direction. I guess in, in a sense, you could, you could probably see this as marketing, right? It's a combination. Every time you're... Yeah, yeah, right. Because every time your name, Probably marketing, but also you know they get Rich's input on uh, APIs. A- absolutely, absolutely. I, it's just like I'm. I'm just thinking like what could. What but could yes, it's definitely be. like you know, Versal is now the deployment platform of choice for Svelkit, and that definitely helps the bottom line somehow. Uh, I have no idea how much, but it's it's yeah. a bet, <laughs> like like a lot of things. I also wanted to shout out that um, you know Steph is also investing a lot of time building a Svelte course, and through that, that is a, for a first investment as well. All right, cool. So before we get into the weeds of Svelte and Svelkit, let's let's uh, talk a bit about Svelte Summit. So on Saturday, so this is recorded the week before, but when you listen to this, it's going to be on Saturday. Uh, Svelte Summit Spring twenty twenty two is happening, and you should all watch it. There will be a lot of fun talks. Um, I think, Rich, you'll you'll have some kind of talk. Have you figured out yet? No. 
no, I, I, I need to, I need to cobble something together for that. Um, it, it's so I'm going away next weekend. I'm, I'm going to be in Mexico City on on the weekend of the of the conference, and so I, I need to come up with an idea for a talk and record it and edit it and get it to you before I fly out, um, which is going to be interesting. A lot of fun. And if anyone, if anyone has any ideas for a talk that I should give, then I'm all ears. Otherwise, I'm just going to talk about like SpotKit 1.0. I think people will be interested in hearing about Yes, that, so. pretty good topic. <laughs> <laughs> Not yep. that we're releasing SpotKit 1.0 at the conference, just to uh, oh, no, dampen right. people's enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to this question in a bit. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so uh, there are a lot of fun talks. We'll bring back the, I think I mentioned this last week, but we'll bring back the meatball sessions. Um, so you can meet people from all around the world and talk one-on-one -on -one for a couple of minutes uh, about Svelte and the talks, which is super fun. I did it uh, when when we did that last time and I got to talk to some guy in Alabama, someone in Australia, uh, someone in India. So it's it's a lot of fun to to just get to talk about Svelte uh, with random people from around the world because you're you're kind of on on the in the Svelte community. You're you're kind of just talking to the same people all the oftentimes. So getting to talk to to other attendees is 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 nice. But yeah, so. The conference on Saturday. Go watch it. Join, attend, and uh, before that, on April twenty eighth, the Svelte London team is uh, running a meetup, pre party thing. Maybe you can share some information about that, Anthony. The London meetup. Uh, yeah. So yeah, happening on the twenty twenty eighth. We're trying to do a regular slot now around the sort of late twenties each month. We've got three talks lined up. Uh, I believe two of them are in person. There was going to be a third one in person, which I think is now remote. But um, we've got a big screen there and everything else. Same venue as last time, but we are looking at sort of alternating venues a bit so that it's a bit more inclusive because uh, not everyone wants to go to pubs. Speaking definitely not for myself, but not everyone wants to go to pubs. Um, yeah, so that's about it. If you're in London, come along. Or we'll also be streaming uh, this one online, I believe. Um, we had a bit of AV issues previously, but uh, we think we resolved those now. Great. That's, that sounds awesome. And that will be on the Svelte Society YouTube channel, I suppose. Uh, yes. Yep. Cool, cool. All right. And then, of course, there's the Svelte Summit fall event. I know, sorry, there's a lot of Svelte Summit talk uh, today, but uh, I need to do this. So, yeah, Svelte Summit fall uh, on the 8th and 9th of September uh, this fall. It's going to be fun. It's the first in-person Svelte Summit real conference, I, I guess. But yeah, uh, you can buy tickets. We have two confirmed speakers. Rich, you're going to be there. I don't know what you're going to talk about. You probably don't either. Not a clue. <laughs> and then we also have Penguin uh, doing a talk as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Maybe I'll talk yeah. about Svelte Kit too. Ooh. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. Is this is this an exclusive you're you're revealing here? Svelkit 2.0 in the fall. Excellent. I'm gonna take your uh, your silence as a yes. All right. So uh, the website for, for the fall event goes up a couple of days after the spring event has been done. So you could read more about that uh, a week from now, probably. All right, so Svelte and Svelkit. What we are, what we're all here to 
to hear about. What's the status? What can you tell us? Uh, well, like I said, there's 375 open issues, but a, a lot of those are like questions, like how do I do X? Some of them are feature requests for features that have since been implemented because you know sometimes multiple people will ask for the same thing and they don't get correctly marked as dupes. And then as you're going through them, you suddenly notice, oh, we can close this. So um, it's definitely not quite as bad as it sounds. Uh, and also some of these things are things that we're going to tackle after we, we've hit Svalkit 1.0. So right now, my main focus is closing all of the issues, the things that we want to have locked down before 1.0, because changing them after that would be breaking. And we don't want to immediately do Svelkit 2 after Svelkit 1. We want, we want people to have a little bit of stability in their lives after bearing with us for the last 18 months of roller coaster breaking changes. But there's, there's some good stuff in there. Like we, we recently made some some changes that I talked about at the Svelte MIC meetup last week. We have page endpoints, which are a very convenient method of data fetching. We have root matches, which allow you to very quickly reject a path name as being an invalid root. If, for example, you have uh, an integer as one of your dynamic parameters and someone has a non-integer in the path name, you don't need to execute any code in order to, to reject that and, and 404. And that has simplified the internals quite a bit. And there's a few other things that we're going on at the moment. Some of the biggest questions remaining around how we handle different deployment environments at development time. Um, because if you're deploying to an, a non-node environment, then you probably shouldn't be able to use node features during development. And at the moment you can, because it's just using Vite and Vite is a node framework. And so we need to have a, a bit of a think about how we solve that problem. And there's a few other things like that that are, are going to be a little bit tricky to figure out. And so getting that right is why we haven't yet managed to do a 1.0 release. That plus the documentation, which is going to be a, a huge undertaking because we've got some big plans about how we want to do that. Um, there's been some development in Svelte itself lately. We just shipped uh, a new thing called Svelte Element, which allows you to pick an HTML element dynamically based on, on some data. Previously, you would have like a bunch of if statements, and now you can have svelte colon element, this equals, and then the, the name of the element. And that makes some tasks, like if you have some data that comes from a content management system or something like that, and you want to render that as HTML, that makes all that sort of thing much easier. Uh, what else? I think that basically covers all of the all of the major recent developments, but there's there's a lot of stuff to come. And we're also starting to think in very broad, high-level terms about Svelte 4. Oh, <laughs> so maybe Svelte 4 for, for the fall event. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Svelte 4 confirmed. I mean, it, it, it kind of de <laughs> depends what happens when we get Svelte Kit 1.0 out the door. It may be that things settle down on that repo for a bit because you know we're in a stable place and we can shift our attention back to Svelte itself. But it might be that because we hit a 1.0 release, we get a ton of new users and they start finding new issues and new feature requests, and 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 we just have to spend like the next few months working through that stuff. It really is an unknown at this point. Yeah. And how do you polish the silver bullet? I mean, it's, it's hard. 
Cool, cool. So yeah, so, um, we we put the link to the full talk that uh, Rich did on uh, on YouTube um, because I think you demoed more features than that, but those are the sort of the key features. And also, if anyone has questions about roadmap, um, they're also answered in that talk. So <laughs> we don't yeah. have to cover it. I, I just like I like that you triaged uh, the major issues into must have before 1.0, and then what we're going to punt until after 1.0. Uh, because then it, then it solves a lot of like when is this going to happen and uh, I like that I like that uh, sort of high level decision making because that really gives sets the right expectations and the distinction isn't whether or not a feature is important it really is more about whether we breaking? can add it yeah. after 1.0 so for example internationalization is like this is one of the first issues in the repo um, and it's this hugely important topic and it's something that we never figured out with Svelte's predecessor but it, there are so many moving parts to that that getting it right before 1.0 would would just delay it by probably months um whereas we think that we can solve all of the internationalization problems that we want to solve in the framework as non-breaking changes so that's you know a 1.1 or a 1.2 but the fact that it's not 1.0 in, in no way uh, lessens the importance of it in our, in our minds. And there's a few different features like that. So as someone who's like not done that much, I know, Anthony, you do you do quite a bit as well in, in internationalization. There's always user land libraries and also CMS solutions like, like Builder or whatever that offer internationalization. What, what can you do at the framework level that you cannot do in user land? Is this a, I mean, it's just a general discussion. I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> I was looking for the answer there, Sean. Ah, oh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the answer is there's nothing that you can't do in userland. I, ideally, the system is flexible enough that you can build in whatever solution works for you. The question is, like, how, like why, why does how it have much to be part work of is it going to be? The framework, yeah. Well, so the, the framework has the opportunity to do a lot of things um, more easily because like, things can be more tightly integrated, but it's also the case that if... If something is a common requirement to many apps, then it's beneficial to have like a blessed official way to do it. And this is like this may be a philosophical statement that some camps would not agree with. Like I know the the React world, for example, is very much in favor of like the universe of possible solutions, go out and pick one. <laughs> um, which is like is good. It, it encourages the development of lots of different solutions, but it also um, means that if you're familiar with one React code base and you're dropped in another React code base, like you're not going to feel at home. Whereas the intention is that if you're familiar with SvelteKit, then you can move between SvelteKit code bases and you'll immediately feel at home and you will know how to solve these problems that we all face when we're building applications. And internationalization falls into that category, I think. Just like styling and server-side rendering and all of these other things like you you don't want to have to solve those problems by yourself if we can agree as a community that this way of doing things meets all our requirements is this is this something that we might see incorporated into svelte itself like internationalization or would that maybe that doesn't even make sense in any way or is it a svelte kit level kind of thing uh, it's hard to say at this point. I it, ideally like want as much as possible to be done in SvelteKit and not Svelte because 
the more that you have to put in the core framework, the, the more complex that piece becomes. But you know, it may be the case that we want to have some kind of statically analyzable identifier for referencing translated strings. And if, if you have that as part of the framework, then when you compile a component, you can get a list of all of the strings that are referenced, for example. And like maybe you can use that to populate the dictionary that is going to get sent to the browser so that you don't need to include all of your translations for all of your languages or anything like that. And you know, you, you can sort of do that without it being part of Svelte, but but maybe you don't get some of the same guarantees that you would if it was actually part of the language that you use when you're writing Svelte components. But I'm not weighing in one way or another here. These are just the, the kinds of decisions that we're eventually going to have to, to take and the kind of explorations that we're going to have to undertake before we can figure out the best way of doing it. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned uh, dev environment. What did you say again? Dev environment deployment. What was the thing? Right. So the Svelte Git's whole deal is that it's sort of write once, run anywhere, right? So your your application can be turned into a node server. If it doesn't have anything dynamic, then it can be outputted as purely static HTML. You can deploy it to Vercel. You can deploy it to Netlify. You can deploy it to Cloudflare Pages or AWS or Dino or you know whatever else. Right. And each of these environments has subtle differences in how they work, how the runtime behaves. And what we want to do is, is abstract over that to the greatest degree possible, while also giving you the ability to take advantage of platform features where necessary. So for example, in the Cloudflare case, we give you access to your KV bindings. But there's a couple of limitations. Number one, you can't access that that platform object during development. You don't get access to your KV bindings in development, which is like a, a bit limiting, frankly. Yeah. Um, number two, you can do things like read files from the file system in development because it's it's just Node, right? You can import the file system module and read files from disk, and it'll work just fine. You can build a page from some markdown that you have lying around, or you can open a SQLite database, and you can use that until you deploy your app, at which point you suddenly discover that it, it just doesn't work. And it was never going to work because the FS module doesn't exist in a Cloudflare worker. And so what we need to do, and Sean has been on top of this issue, he, he actually raised it in issue form for the first time, even though we'd kind of been guiltily thinking about it. What we need to do is make sure that the development environment mimics your production environment as closely as possible. So we detect what your deployment platform is going to be based on the adapter that you've chosen. We need to figure out how that works with the adapter auto situation, but that's a problem for another time. And then we somehow need to restrict the runtime environment such that if you do try and access the file system module, then it's either going to fail or it's going to tell you what you need to change in order to make that work when you deploy your app. At the moment, it's it's a bit of a fuck around and find out situation, which isn't ideal. Right. Does this put us in a position where we're spending our lives trying to find out weird esoteric edge cases for different deployment platforms and uh, add those restrictions into each adapter? Because it sounds like, like the cell, for example, has a very different file system than a lot of other environments. And 
knowing that file system is almost internal to the cell, it's now being documented and stuff. But how would we make sure that this is as a good level of accuracy to make it useful, I suppose? Uh, so I, I think the, the run times are actually fairly similar. Um, in, in most cases, like there has been this convergence that Sean alluded to earlier. A lot of these platforms are like they've embraced web standards. And, and so, you know, if you're using Dino or Cloudflare workers or Vercel Edge functions or whatever it is, like you get a, a W3C standard request object and your job is to return a W3 standard response object. And that happens to be exactly what SvelteKit does. So in, like in, in those cases, um, the fact that the fetch API is globally available and the response and the request APIs are globally available, like there's, there's kind of nothing we need to do there except polyfill them in development because you're in Node. It's, it's more about restricting the things that you're not supposed to be able to do. Uh, as for accessing files on the file system, we were having a conversation about this yesterday in the Discord. It would be ideal if there was a way to do that in the framework that translated to different environments. So if you do deploy it as a node server, A, we've statically analyzed your code and we've figured out what content files you need. So we figured out that we need to include your database.sqlite or your documentation slash glob.nd. And we just include that in the deployment. And then if you deploy to somewhere that doesn't give you access to the file system, you know, a Cloudflare worker, then somehow we put that in a KV store and give you a way of reading that directly from the KV store that translates across between all of the different environments. We haven't figured out any of the details of that, but those are the sorts of conversations that we're having. There is, of course, a school of thought that is like, this is wasted effort. You should just be upfront about the fact that that different platforms are different. And if you want to read a file from a KV storing in an app that's going to be deployed to Cloudflare, then you should just do that from the start. But I personally think that these platforms have more in common than they have differences. And it, it makes sense to, to try and do the right once run anywhere thing um, as far as possible. Because at, at the moment, I would argue switching platforms is, is too costly. Well, the platforms yeah. are very incentivized to make it costly. So it's no surprise. <laughs> right. That, um, that moat, right? Yeah. So I have a couple of thoughts on, that, on, on this. So I really, I really appreciate your perspective on this. And you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. Should it be Svelke's job? Because you, this, is, this problem is not isolated to Svelte. React also has this, or you know, anyone doing any meta framework with multiple deploy targets is going to run into this. And I feel like there's an opportunity here to do what Vue did with V, which is like, hey, there's common, there's a pro common problem here, but it's like not super Vue specific. Let's kind of ex extract that out. And maybe it should be part of V because why not? That's one angle that I'm thinking about. The second angle um, is that every single platform has some kind of sandbox. Uh, local emulation thingy. So Vercel has VC, Netlify has uh, the Netlify CLI, uh, and Netlify Dev. And are you duplicating efforts that maybe should be done by each platform? So to, to the first point, I, absolutely yes. It would be great if some of this stuff could be shared between frameworks. But I think the first step is to figure out what the requirements are. And so a framework like SvelteKit kind of has to take the plunge and say, okay, th these are the features that we want to have in our framework. And then if the broader web community says, actually, yes, we would like to have that in these other frameworks too, then at that point, it becomes a shared solution. You know, a, a good example of this would be, 
the Vite SSR load module is was originally based on an implementation that SvelteKit built on top of Snowpack. Um, and Snowpack and Vite both eventually kind of took that and merged it into their code bases so that we then didn't need to have it. And so, yes, I think cow paths should be paved, but like for that to happen, you need some cows and, and we're the cows. <laughs> um, to the second point, yeah, so VC Dev, Wrangler, or Miniflare, or whatever that thing is, um, Netflix Dev, like all of these things exist and, and they provide that sandbox for you. Right now, they, uh, I'm not super familiar with them, but my impression has been that they generally don't give you a huge amount of programmatic control, which we need, right? We need to intercept the, the SSR load module step and run that code instead of running it through, well, essentially you need to bypass SSR load module. You need to do the, the transformation through Vite and then you need to hand that code to this, this runtime. And, and my impression has been that that is a tiny bit yeah, tricky. That's not, that's not how they're designed today, but. You know. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- this, this might be another case where, where we sort of say, if, if one of these CLIs does allow us to do that, then we're going to embrace it and we're going to use that. And you're going to get a really high fidelity experience using that platform CLI. And the others like, should sit up and take notice. This is what's possible if, if you architect it in, in, in a particular way. But you know, I, I don't yet know which of them is closest to that ideal. And I'd have no idea like what an integration with SvelteKit would, would look like. But that is something that I, I think is probably a pre-1.0 concern. Maybe I'll tinker with it a bit today and see what I can find out. Yeah. I know, I know that the Cloudflare one specifically was not designed that way, and it made it very hard for us to actually figure it out because it, it does something like it adds, it adds things to the global namespace for the KV store or something. But that's what you want. You want, you want to develop, you want to develop with Cloudflare's version of it because they're going to maintain it, not you. That, that's what I'm oh yeah trying. no absolutely but I mean we, we couldn't fuse that with Vite because there wasn't a hook in the right place to get that stuff in there and I don't think it was architecturally possible we were talking through it with Luke and stuff about how to how we would do this and it was it was just not designed to be used like that it's almost designed you run that that runner and then it runs your stuff and does its augmentation and actually in dev mode you want you're kind of somewhere in the middle of those two processes yeah, it was it was difficult anyway. I'm trying to do this myself. <laughs> Sounds like you had a lot of fun. I know, <laughs> I know. I've uh, I've run into the issue where I wanted to use uh, Cloudflare KV, and like I just not bothered because I couldn't make it work easily, right? Because I I wanted to like call them from my endpoints, right? Yeah, and that's that's the issue, I guess. It, it's very difficult, if, even if you just you know. It's because it's a global variable, that variable needs to be present in your dev environment. And it's because it's global, you can't just mock it, define it, whatever else. You've got to do something slightly more lower level. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. So you also mentioned some kind of documentation for SvelteKit. Is that something you want to elaborate on or is it secret? I mean, it's a little bit secret in the sense that like, there hasn't been any work in public yeah, there's there's really just been conversations. Um, I, I think Penguin has started working on this 
and uh, I'm not yet sure like how much progress is made. Um, essentially, what we want to do is have an equivalent of the Svelte REPL for SvelteKit. Uh, because a lot of people, they come into Svelte through the REPL and through the interactive tutorials. Um, and because it's like you don't need to install anything, there's no overhead whatsoever. You can just like go to the website and immediately start playing. And and that's a very effective way for people to learn. Right? Meta frameworks don't have anything like that. Um, you have like all of these steps like, oh, you need to install a package manager and then you need to do npm init, blah, and then... You need to be able to CD around your file system. And like that's all well and good. Like We all know how to do that. But if you're an, uh, a, a, a less experienced web developer or if your curiosity about the framework doesn't exceed uh, the, the pain of, okay, I've got to open my terminal, create a new directory, and blah, 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 then you're just not going to do it. Um, and so we have this... We have this interesting challenge, which is how do you get a meta framework to run in a browser environment um, in a way that allows this sort of editorially curated experience? Um, and so, you know, without wanting to uh, like give anything away or make any promises, there are ways nowadays that you can do that. You can run SvelteKit in the browser. And we want to try and use that technology in uh, the SvelteKit um, tutorial. And maybe we would even combine the Svelte tutorial and the SvelteKit tutorial so that it feels like a, a cohesive thing. Like you start out in a SvelteKit app and you learn Svelte inside a SvelteKit app. And then when it's time to learn about having multiple routes, like, oh, you just add this other file. And because you're using SvelteKit, yep. the rest is taken care of for you. Um, so that's where we are. Exciting. Just yesterday, I got a comment about uh, how the the Svelte tutorial was amazing. Like someone just wanting to see how how it all works, and they just like go to the website and play around with it for a bit. It's great. All right. Yeah. So um, I think that's it. Uh, unless you guys want to talk about something else, regards to Svelte or Svelte mm -hmm. No. All right. Cool. All right. So we we're going to talk a bit about the meetups here, but I think we've already talked about them. So let's move on to the uh, the most popular sections, the unpopular opinions and the picks. So do you guys have have any unpopular opinions? Go on, Anthony. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I only have <laughs> one unpopular opinion, and the reason it's unpopular and, and it's it's almost it's unpopular at different levels. So essentially, the opinion is that nested code blocks make hard uh, make code hard to read. So essentially, if you've got uh, the diamond pattern in your code, you have an if statement which contains another if statement which contains maybe another if statement, and you're going down the chain here, if this, if that, if that. Um, at that point, and for me, that point is one level of nesting. I don't have any code that goes more than one level deep, so a single if. Um, you can either exit early, to do something else if you if you have everything wrapped in an if or you can um, call out to a method if the condition is true or false or whatever um, there's a, a bunch of options you can use that will help you avoid having loads and loads of levels of nesting even if you were to have 
a series of different methods that have in within them their own single if statement. It means those single methods are easy to read. Um, and there's people of different sort of levels uh, of, of tolerance for nesting. But I find once you get down to two, it's already becoming a bit confusing. You're looking at code halfway down the page and you don't know which if statement you're in, which branch of the, the logic you're in. So, um, yeah, my opinion is that one level of nesting should be enough for anyone. <laughs> you would not like my code bases. <laughs> I usually go 10 deep. No, yeah, I mean, I, I do realize that I'm almost an outlier in, in this, um, but uh, it's definitely served me well being so. I love a bit of nesting. I think code should flow like a river. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it, actually, what the Svelte code base was one of the places I saw this nesting. I was like, diamond pattern. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right, so I'm in an element and it's got this attribute and it's got this. And, oh my God, I'm lost. <laughs> All right. That's a that's an unpopular opinion. I think Sean, you just uh, you just added one here. Yeah, well, I, um, I, it's hard to follow Anthony as usual. But I, I, I had a I guess epiphany on this edge function thing. So just to give my context about edge, I was at Netlify in twenty eighteen when they first announced that they were looking at the edge stuff, and I was like, that's very cool. Um, your 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 functions are closer to your user, so they're going to res, uh, respond quicker. But then I found out all the limitations that edge functions have, which is that you have to render or respond within double-digit milliseconds. Um, and there's memory limitations as well, file system limitations, bundle size limitations. So I, I got significantly less excited about them after uh, getting very, very, like way too excited. I was like, oh, this is the feature. That was 2018. And then went to AWS where I looked at Lambda at Edge and it's basically a slight optimization of Lambda itself and three times more expensive. So Lambda is something like 0. Uh, 20 cents per million requests and uh, Lambda at Edge is 60 cents per million requests. I was like, okay, you know, and people use it for what it is, but it's not in any way game changing. When Nellify launched their Edge functions this week, they actually reduced re release pricing as well. And this is the first time I've seen it the other way, where Edge functions are clearly at least one order of magnitude cheaper than normal regular serverless functions. And for those people who, who aren't well caught up on this, regular service functions uh, are essentially located in one region. So it's basically like having a server that you rent for a very short amount of time. Uh, so in other words, uh, if you're in Asia and your serverless function happens to be in the US, you're calling uh, all across the world just for that one serverless function. Edge functions would not do that. They would they would call to a, a data center near you and actually run that serverless function uh, there. So that's kind of the, the the major difference. And the order the the pricing was something like fifteen to twenty times cheaper. Uh, the the edge would be cheaper than the than the regular functions, and I think that that actually changes things materially. So now uh, we're not. Like it used to be economical for people to render static content and then try to do the, the, the dynamic stuff inside of service functions uh, as sparingly as possible. But I do think that this does change the game uh, because of the cheapness, uh, because of the inversion in costs. And that inversion in costs usually tends to drive software. Uh, so you see the patterns with this when costs change, every time storage gets cheaper, compute gets cheaper, like uh, that actually changes all the layers above them. I think that that might actually start to drive some decisions that we make in front-end uh, architecture and front-end frameworks. The the one caveat I'll, I'll make before I finish this rant is that you don't only need compute, you also need storage. 
Um, and so therefore Cloudflare is the only one uh, in the game right now with uh, co-located compute and storage. Um, but I think there are serverless databases that are trying to be good complements to uh, these these services. But I don't know. I, I think that like price is something that people should pay attention to because it's, so, it's sort of a leading indicator of where um, things should go. That all made total sense to me. Which bit is the unpopular opinion? Unpopular opinion is nobody's talking about this yet because it just happened. Ah, okay. Like I think I think people have been uh, overpromised on Edge for so long that they're kind of immune to it, just like I was in 2018. And now it's happening in 2022, and people are kind of like, yeah, so what? Everyone's launching Edge stuff. Not a big deal. And they're not paying attention to, like, no, this is an order of magnitude cheaper. Yeah. I mean, that's a great thing. Anything that that puts a, a dent in the whole Jamstack worldview, I, I think is... Is, is Fulkit anti-Jamstack? Is that, is that the hot take? <laughs> I, I just think I just think Jamstack is such a useless concept. Like it's been so watered down because like people realize that, oh, actually it's kind of useful to have, I don't know, cookies and dynamic data. That it's been aug- augmented with all of these these like these extra barnacles to allow you to to do the things that you could do before anyway. And I, I think if we if we're entering a world where you can do dynamic at the speed of static, which is one of Gashomo's uh, beloved phrases, then like you, th- the whole point of of Jamstack and the whole point of, like static site generators, it, it's just like there's no benefit to doing that anymore. Yes. The, so yeah. this is why I'm paying attention to this edge thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited about that. I mean, of course, you do have this. So, Fly.io recently did a little test where they, where your your data lives in in one part of the world, and you have uh, the rendering happening close to the user. And in some cases, that can actually make your response times much worse because instead of like going to the data center where the compute and the storage are co-located, you go to the edge, which requests data from a data center. There's a round trip. And then, oh, it needs some more data, like based on the initial response, and so it has to do another round trip, and and so you actually get double the response time, and it's you know that is, I, I think the the thing that people are most wary of. Like we we need to figure out ways to get the data to the edge as well, and that I think is probably the the, the next frontier. And there are ways like the, you, you can do it with a variety of techniques, but. Um, that's going to be the the next uh, big uh, churny debate. So specifically, storage or um, what's the yeah. journey debate? Like how how do you get your data to the same place where the rendering is happening if your rendering is happening everywhere? Yes. Yeah. Use Cloudflare. No, I'm just kidding. You said it was hard <laughs> to use. <laughs> no, I mean, is, okay, look. K- K- KV is. is wonderful, but there's a lot of stuff that it simply cannot do. Like we we moved yep. away from using KV on the Svelte website um, for various things because, like you you end up as soon as you have any, anything that like you need a relational database for, like you start having to re-implement that relational logic yourself, like with with side tables and everything. and it it yeah. gets really ugly really quickly. Like it turns out relational databases are really good and you can't just use a KV store to model them. So 
KV is wonderful for like documentation and and like like blobs of static assets like that, but it's it's not a substitute for a, for a database in any way. What what about what about checking an an SQLite database into KV? Oh, ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's mad science, maybe. Uh, yeah, don't don't come <laughs> uh, Cloudflare out yet. So I I know that they're working on uh, more stuff. So they're not. They're oh yeah, not I mean, every, everyone is working to solve this problem. I, I'm just saying that I, I I having tried to use KV as a solution to this problem in the past, like you do start to hit the limitations pretty quickly if you, if you rely on it for things that it it is not good at, and it, it's good at a lot of things, but it's not good at everything. So. Yeah. That makes sense. Do, should I have an unpopular opinion? I, I didn't prepare one, but okay. So my unpopular opinion is that hydration is not pure overhead. I don't know if anyone's seen this. Oh, God. Post we have to around. recap this. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, All right. I'll find it. I'll find so it I, I, so uh, Mishko Avery, the, the Angular creator who is now working on Quick at Builder.io, um, he wrote a blog post this week called Hydration is Pure Overhead. Um, and it was it was kind enough to, to let me see a pre-release version of this and, and offer some feedback. It, essentially, I, I think that like a lot of blog posts about frameworks, it doesn't spend enough time talking about trade-offs. And I, I think that, uh, I mean, I guess we're going to have to have to recap what the blog post is saying. Essentially, so what meta frameworks do nowadays is like you server-side render your application, and then as soon as it gets to the browser, it loads some JavaScript, and then JavaScript um, replays the application inside the browser and recreates the state of the page and then starts letting you interact with with the framework and this essentially means that that you have like two versions of your app being sent to the browser you have the html version and then you have the javascript version and when the javascript version takes over from the html version there is a, like a, a period during which the main thread is blocked um, and at the end of it your application is interactive before that it's it kind of looks interactive but it's not um, and that process can be costly, especially in if you're using a slow framework, or especially if you have like a very very complex page, um, generally to the point of being somewhat contrived. But that's a separate issue. Um, quick attempts to to skip that whole whole step. Um, instead, it only loads the code uh, or only executes the code um, for the interactivity once the interaction has actually happened. And so, in theory. You only need one kilobyte of JavaScript to um, to load an application of arbitrary complexity. But if every interaction is dependent on you loading some code over the network um, and then executing it, then the interactions themselves become laggy. So you might instead prefetch all the code, but then you're loading just as much data or just as much JavaScript as you were before. But you're 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 loading like smaller chunks of JavaScript instead of like one big optimized coarse grained bundle, um, and so the the only part that you're saving on is the blocking of the hydration and the memory allocation of the event handlers. But blocking hydration is an implementation detail of some frameworks, and other frameworks have non-blocking hydration. Some have partial hydration. So I, like that is a problem that is going to get solved at some point across the board. And then finally, there's all of these things that you simply can't do if you're responding to event handlers lazily. Like you can't do event.prevent default or event.stop propagation or certain APIs can only work inside of a gesture handler unless you 
treat those differently when you're authoring the application to say, actually, these do need to be fetched and set up aggressively. And that leaks into the programming model. So um, that was a little bit of a, of, of a, of a waffle, but um, my unpopular opinion is that um, hydration is actually a pretty good model and it is going to be what the next crop of frameworks continue to be um, based on because it has advantages that you can't really get any other way. So hydration good. Hi hydration good, yes. Yeah, I, I, I suspect we're going to see a lot of people who are very focused on these sorts of problems start to treat hydration as something of a dirty word. And I don't think it is a dirty word. I think it's actually a very successful strategy. And Sebastian Martbogay, the the React genius who joined the cell recently had a good twi uh, Twitter thread about this yesterday, where he he also defended um, hydration, um, React's approach to hydration specifically, which does it, it, it hydrates like the from the from the top down. It does top down hydration, but of a subset of your application. Um, React has a pretty sophisticated hydration model um, that maybe we'll steal at some point. But yeah, this is this is something that front end framework nerds are going to be talking about. I think for for the foreseeable future. The next big battle. Nah, yeah. it'll, it'll last no, for a week. <laughs> it's too technical. <laughs> people, people need to be more, uh, uh, need, need to crash over a tailwind being not CSS again or something. Uh, no, so I, I think uh, there are interesting variations, uh, partial hydration and selective hydration. I don't know if you, uh, you have any opinions on, on those, but uh, there are ways to also cut down the weight of that. Um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, just, I, th I think it's uh, it's fascinating how uh, you know I guess React has, has been thinking about this for a long time and there's still that fundamental trade-off of are you making an app or a site and I know Rich you're, you're not too too uh, much of a fan of the distinction but you know time on site does matter and uh, maybe you know if you're if you're if you're just having an article that maybe don't hydrate it right like and that's kind of the blunt force trauma approach that we do in Svelkit where it's just a boolean toggle of like hydrate don't hydrate um, but maybe there's sort of um, more nuanced approaches that uh, elder.js for example uh, might have approaches where you hydrate partial parts of the, the site uh, only but the whole site is written in javascript it's just that only parts of it selectively you can hydrate um, I'm interested in that I guess we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> next week when, yeah. All right. So, uh, I don't have a an unpopular opinion. Uh, well, I have many, but I don't want to talk about them. So uh, let's go to picks. <laughs> so my pick this week has already been mentioned. Uh, Severance. It's a TV show. It's so good. It's one of the best shows I've seen in many years, probably. And uh, we, I, me and the and the girlfriend just uh, finished the last episode uh, a couple of days ago, so we're uh, we're a bit sad. We want we want season two now, not in like a year. Um, I don't know. Have you guys have you guys seen this? Yeah. So can we? I, we, we yeah. I think we can go ahead and make this a spoiler section. Uh, there's there's <laughs> been enough time that people can. Well, has watch it. has Anthony seen it? I've only seen one episode. Oh, oh ah, okay. I don't think we can spoil them. <laughs> All right. Well, my hot take is actually I did not enjoy it, but mostly because no, no, it's not like a surprising thing. It's just like, there's so much anxiety. There's just latent background oh, anxiety. It's a creepy right. show um, yeah. in a very unnatural environment that just makes me feel uncomfortable. But I, I know you're supposed to feel that way, but 
I didn't, you know, I wanted to watch shows to de-stress, not to end stress. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but my takeaway is that I, I would love to have this to work on open source. If I could, if I could sever myself and have, have my innie just working on SvelteKit all day, <laughs> then it's not so much that I then get to, I as the LT get to not care about it. It's more that at the end of the day, I get in the elevator and I immediately come back out of the elevator and I've still got like all of the mental context in order to, to, to carry on, but oh, I'm refreshed. Right. I've had like a good night's sleep because like part of the issue of, of working on complex projects is like you're, you're constantly losing mental context because you have to have a break for meals and sleep and like maybe even a social life. I don't know. So like you, yeah. you spend the, you spend a lot of time just like kind of re-ramping back up, but imagine that you could just spend uh, like weeks solidly just plugging away on a problem without interruptions it'd be fantastic is this so, uh is this an ad for lumen in the show yeah um well actually it's funny because uh this ties in two of the topics that we talked about in this episode which is uh, you know uh isolation between environments <laughs> and then the second topic is uh hydration which is <laughs> sort of hydrating your state from <laughs> from the previous state right so sure <laughs> i pulled it back in <laughs> yeah so so that's my that's my pick if you haven't watched it you should definitely go watch it because it's very good it's sort of in the in the same vein as a series called counterpart which is also pretty good um, and uh, I haven't I haven't seen Counterpart, but I compared it for a friend, you know, who was like, "What what is this thing about?" Uh, I, I compared it to Get Out, uh, which is also oh. I guess a, some kind yeah, of out of body experience, uh, yeah. quite literally. Mm. Yep. Well, Counterpart is also a good show. Anyway, that's my pick. I'm not going to take up more time. So, who's next? Uh, yeah, so my pick is one of those one of those ones that's kind of niche. It's sort of specific to the UK right now, but it might grow into a bigger, more international company. So if you've ever bought a house, you'll know that you have to do conveyancing in the UK at least. You have to get somebody to go and check it's not going to fall down, that the bank is willing to pay the money on the mortgage, etc. Um, and it's usually, I wouldn't say it's a scam per se, but you don't get a lot out of it. They offer you three levels. You can have the highest level where they do a really detailed check or the lowest level, which is not that much cheaper, where they basically do nothing. They wander in and go, yep, looks good. And then that's that. Um, I was looking online for options because you always get referred to somebody by the estate agent. They're usually very expensive because they're on commission. They're getting sort of backhanded from that. Um, this site called House Check. Um, it's one of those ones where you submit a quote and they kind of get back to you. And I assumed it was one of those ones where they have a bunch of freelancers around the UK. Um, but it seems like the conveyances they have are actually employees of this company called House Check, which is interesting. Um, and I've had it, I've bought a few houses and the conveyancing people generally, you hear nothing from them, you pay some money and then you get a report back and it's very basic and has a traffic light system. With this one, I was surprised because a lot cheaper than anything else I'd used. Um, and the conveyancer actually called me, really nice guy, introduced himself. And he's like, look, is there anything you want me to look at in this house? Is there anything specific? Do you want me to prod anything? Do you want me to like, you know, all the kind of stuff that I would expect from a level three survey, that most expensive survey, I, I ordered the basic survey because really you, you don't need the more expensive one. And he was very, very detailed. He really wanted to understand why I wanted the house, what I was looking for, had he got any plans, did I know much about it, 
Um, and he told me that the checks he'd already done before he even visited the house. I just thought it was really good. I thought it was a really, really nice um, site. So I figured, well, you know what? Of of the last thing, last couple of weeks, that was something that stuck out to me as a genuinely good service, web service, um, and well done to them. So wanted to mention it, really. Cool. My pick is the Oculus Quest 2. Which is actually, I think it's I think it's ah. called Meta Quest Two now because Ooh, it's made yeah. by Meta, <laughs> which which it, it immediately gets a lot of people uh, turning their nose up. But this this thing um, is is three hundred dollars plus like more for the charging dock or whatever, and it's shockingly good. Like considering that it's a it's a fairly cheap device in the grand scheme of things, the hardware inside this thing is is just miraculous. The like there's no latency compared to other VR helmets that that I've tried before, um, and it knows where you are in your room so that you don't like walk into walls and knock the TV over and stuff. Um, and it's got a, a ton of stuff for it. My only regret is that um, VR as a medium has already been taken over by the capitalist machine, and there's there isn't really a sort of <laughs> tinker friendly like Linuxy version of of this. But um, as someone who just wants to put a headset on and like do a little workout or play some Beat Saber, this thing is absolutely fantastic. And if anyone has any curiosity about this and you have like a six by six foot area where you can stand and flail your arms about, I thoroughly recommend getting one. Yeah. Is it, is it nice as, as like exercise as well? I'm thinking like Beat Saber. That, that's what I mostly use it for. Um, there's an app called Supernatural, which is a, it's a subscription thing. Like you pay $180 a year. Um, which I, I did the free trial thinking I was going to cancel, but I actually kept it because it's so good. Um, and they have these, they have these coaches that like talk you through, um, different workouts. And, and there's a mode that is kind of like beat saber. Like you're, you're using your arms to hit these targets that are coming at you and there's a boxing mode and there's all of these other things. Um, and it's, it's genuinely really good fun and a, a proper workout. Um, so yeah, I've I've got I've got very into it. I use it like multiple times a week, which I imagined it would be a fad and I would stop using it after a couple of weeks, but I haven't. It's actually become like a part of my routine. And I I just think that the next generations of these things are going to be incredible. Like we're already we've already got these devices that are $300 and give you this really good high fidelity experience. It's going to be it's going to be incredible a few years from now. If yeah, if you if you tried other VR systems and you kind of think you might know what it's like, it's nothing like them. This is like actually a working one. It's actually really really good. <laughs> Did you upgrade the strap head strap by any chance? No, no, I have the the built in head strap. I I do have a silicon um, mask foam thing. Oh yeah, be makeup <laughs> because I, I was getting a I was getting a terrible rash with the with the foam one. Yeah, um, actually that's a weird, that's a weird straps. bug. Yeah, it, is. Yeah. <laughs> it causes people to have a rash. It's bizarre. Yeah. So um, there's uh, it's one. Sorry, there's one. There's one game on it called something of the something of the fight, the joy, of the fight, or thrill, of the fight, or something. That's a boxing one. Apparently, that's really good. Yeah, um, I bought it, but I haven't played it yet because I don't have room. <laughs> I don't have enough room to play it because, you, like, you, you need to have like the the space of a boxing ring to move about and like right, duck right. and weave. Um, <laughs> and I live in this tiny Brooklyn apartment where that's not possible. Have you plugged it into a PC yet? No. So we, we haven't either. either. Yeah, you can. Also, I don't have a PC. 
yeah so you need, you need a gaming pc for it really i think but um my friend's got one and the graphics go like next level his pc is actually in a different room i don't know how he connects them but the, he plays like half-life or something on there and the graphics oh. are like a million times what you get on the on the unit itself mm. and the unit itself is really good but it's crazy oh, wow. crazy crazy God, yeah i need to i need to get get myself one of these yeah so uh, i also i wanted to mention that at, uh, at svelte summit next week or on this this saturday there's actually going to be a talk about augmented reality uh, built using Ooh. svelte so that might be interesting um yeah yeah is that a thing Western called svelte enriched that's a that's a library yeah. oh i'm not sure i'm gonna come across that yeah so it's web xr and a Svelte web app. Um, nice. Yes. Yeah. Some combination of A-frame. <laughs> I, I have no idea what that is, but all right. It's going to be a fun fun talk probably. Cool. Uh, cool. All right, Sean. Uh, my picks are just uh, Svelte ecosystem picks. I feel like we haven't shouted out the, the work that people are doing in Svelte in a while. So I wanted to do a little bit of that. Um, I put a whole bunch of links in the docs uh, just for, sorry, in the show notes for people to catch up on. I guess some one of the, some of the special features is Kit Docs, which is I guess the view press of Svelte. If that means anything to anyone, it's it's a custom skin of uh, Svelte Kit for Docs. Um, so I think that's that's pretty interesting. And then Super Comments is uh, maybe the other one I'll, I'll highlight here, which is uh, a uh, like a super based hackathon project that actually did pretty well on Products Hunt. Um, so it's it's also raising the the user usage or profile of Svelte in general, which uh, I really like. Um, there are a couple of courses out from Brittany and from Mike, um, and I kind of put them uh, down below there. And uh, some interesting like open source like academic research from Real Data. Hamilton, I think is a, I don't know what he does, but um, he's one of those sort of research developers or that, that shares in public so i think they all do very interesting projects so i just wanted to feature them this is kind of my little showcase i, I picked this felt community <laughs> that's a good pick <laughs> <laughs> all right i think that's that's us this was a long one but a great one so uh thanks rich for coming on once again and uh thanks having me thank you all for uh listening uh and we'll uh see you all at svelte summit boop, boop. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye. 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 So, 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 so. <laughs> <laughs>